It is Monday, April 4th. Welcome to the Richie Allen Show. It's a pretty grim, dismal, pretty ugly day here in Salford. Grim up north, I think, is the saying. I've got a very interesting guest for you this afternoon. Dr. Vincent Carroll will be on the line to me from Dublin in around about a half an hour's time. Comment live as usual through the programme at Would You Believe? Comment live on richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, Dr. Vincent Carroll uploaded a video to the platform BitChute. Is that how you say it? BitChute? BitChute? A couple of weeks ago, he was apoplectic. He was angry to learn that the Tornishta... Leo Varadkar, as the Deputy Prime Minister in Ireland, the Deputy Taoiseach, he said that in any COVID inquiry undertaken by the Irish government, Paul Reid of the Health Service Executive and a guy called Tony Houlihan from Neffet, which is like SAGE, the UK's SAGE in Ireland, those two guys, chief architects of Ireland's response to COVID, would you believe it, they wouldn't be called to give any testimony or any evidence startling stuff. Vincent Carroll Doctor put a very eloquent response to that. Angry but eloquent. I've invited him on and he graciously accepted. He'll be with me as I said a little bit later in the hour. That's Monday's programme. It tis myself. Thanks for joining me as always. Good to be with you. That is true. It really is good to be with you. Mucky day. Hope you had a great weekend. We did here. If you were listening to Sunday Morning Melodies yesterday, you will know that our friend, our old new friend, old new, old before the new, uh, Jean Ann Crowley was here over the weekend. We had a lot of fun and the Sunday Morning Melodies programme yesterday was great fun. Great fun and uh, great to share the studio with a lady who has done it all in television, in film, in radio and in journalism, though you wouldn't know it because she's very modest, fiercely modest, but it was wonderful. Lovely weekend, and uh, now it's back to work. That's the way it has to be. I don't know what you make of this, but your opinion... I can't wait to read your opinions, in fact. Ukraine has started a war crimes investigation, because it alleges, its government alleges, we must talk one time, you and me, about how the media refers to countries... You know, like China says that it doesn't agree. What, you mean the one billion of them? I don't know how many people are in China, by the way. I just guessed. You know, the UK is not happy with Germany. Really? Who? The 67 million people here? Or the government? Or the puppet masters who control the government? We must investigate this. So anyway, Ukraine says, that's the government, that civilians have been killed some of them with their hands tied behind their backs, execution style, on the streets of, um, well, two areas in particular. Uh, this has been widely condemned today. In fact, most television and radio news programmes today have obsessed with this story. The idea that the Russians have been murdering civilians in great numbers. They have alleged, Ukraine has alleged, 
that an excavation site, recent site, recent moving of the earth in a place called I can't pronounce it. They've said it 16 different ways today. It's a Bucha, I think, B-U-C-H-I, and Irpin. They're saying there's evidence of mass graves there, that the Russians rolled in, apparently, into Bucha, and because they weren't met as conquering heroes or liberators, and they were met with resistance, they murdered people. Now, the Russian government says it's nonsense. It's anti-Russian propaganda. There is no proof of it whatsoever. What's true? Do you know what's true? I don't. It's possible, of course, evil things are done on the battlefield by every side involved. We've seen this everywhere throughout history. You send young men and women, young men and women who you've trained the humanity out of, into a place, and you tell them, these people are your enemy. And you tell them to shell buildings and bomb the place to smithereens, and then they meet resistance from people who live there. Unspeakable things happen, regardless of which nation you might think has the moral upper hand or high ground. Horrendous things happen. So I don't know. Now, Human Rights Watch, an organisation which I don't trust very much, uh, says it's got gathered evidence of alleged war crimes in Bucha or Bucha and other cities and towns which are currently controlled by Russian forces. We'll see, I suppose, in the coming days. Have a listen to this, though. You'll find this interesting, I think. It's Sky News this morning. Professor Michael Clark, a defence and security analyst, often appearing on Sky News these days. He's with Kay Burley, Michael Clark, defence security analyst. Have a listen. The, the deliberate targeting of civilians is a war crime in and of itself every day of the week. So um, unless somebody can provide a military logic why civilians are targeted, then that is a straight war crime. And civilians who appear to have had their hands tied behind their back and were shot, um, is th- there's no other, there's no strategic rationale for that whatsoever. <clears throat> what it reflects is the probably the activities of the Rosvadia, who are the, uh, the, the internal police, like the Gestapo, who moved in with the Russian troops and were rounding people up according to lists. And so some of these killings might have been, uh, as it were, as examples to the villagers or revenge. But a lot of it, one suspects, is troops uh, out of control. Now, Kay Burley must ask this gentleman where he got this information from. She must ask him. It's incumbent upon her to ask him, why are you comparing the Russian troops to the to the Gestapo. How do you know, or, or Russian police coming into the country on the back of the Russian military, why refer to them as Gestapo? And where is your evidence that they were carrying lists of people they wished to exterminate? But Kay Burley, to be fair to Kay, just like every other anchor without the W on British television and radio, doesn't say a thing, a nodding dog, would do a better job, right? The Gestapo, they have lists, he said. And so part of this looks like a classic case of Russian soldiers out of control, working just in their own little friendship groups. Working in their own little friendship groups? Who probably got angry and... They got angry? uh, Very vengeful. And vengeful? uh, Because the people opposed them and people, as it were, came out to to, uh, indicate 
uh, that they were going to go about their normal lives. Wow. That doesn't sound very forensic or academic to me, does it to you? It's not the sort of language you would expect from a defence and security analyst. It's worth revisiting. And so part of this looks like a classic case of Russian soldiers out of control, working just in their own little friendship groups who probably got angry. They probably got angry now. And uh, very vengeful. How could you not stop him, Borley? How could you not stop that? Put a stop to it. You know, stop him. Where are you getting this from? Wow. Right, let's hear more from him, Michael Clark. Putin says they're being set up. He says this is not the case. And he's calling for an emergency session of the UN Security Council. They always deny it. <clears throat> the Russians deny everything like this. They go through three phases. First of all, they deny everything. And then they try to obfuscate. They create stuff on social media which indicates, oh, it's all very complicated and this was going on at the time and that was going on and no simple answers are possible. And then a couple of years later, they often admit it and they say, yes, yes, we did do this or we did do that, but you do the same. Again, Bordy needs to interject there and ask him for an example of a time period when Russia denied doing something and then two years later admitted they had done it all along or did it all along. But she doesn't say a word. And they point to some sort of moral equivalence in the West. They did it over uh, the poisoning of Litvinenko in two they deny poisoning Litvinenko. 2006 and Skripal in 2018. They... And Skripal wasn't poisoned in Salisbury in 2018. That's the greatest fairy tale since Hans Christian Andersen walked amongst us. They did it over the uh, the bringing down of civilian airliners, uh, a civilian airliner over Ukraine. Was that MH18, was it, over Ukraine? Again, no evidence. No evidence Russia was involved. Uh, in uh, 2013, 2014. Yeah, I don't like Russia. I don't like any of them. But there's no evidence. You need to provide some evidence. Anyway, Michael, why should we believe you? Wait for the answer. When Western intelligence agencies speak, particularly the British intelligence agencies, right? when we say to the rest of the world, we have the evidence, generally speaking, the rest of the world believes us. <laughs> yeah. Michael, where are those weapons of mass destruction that you told us existed before you went into Baghdad? And, uh, and murdered a million people and displaced three million more. When Britain speaks, the world believes us because we told the truth and the Russians are liars. Wow. Kay, just twiddling her thumbs. No, no, I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to say a thing. Why should I? Wow. I don't know what's going on there. I mentioned earlier on. Terrible, rotten, horrible things happen. They do. I know they do. I've been around the block a long time. I've covered conflicts, wars. Even the soldiers fighting on the side of right do unspeakable things. Is it feasible that arriving in a city or a town, some Russian soldiers go rogue and kill civilians? Of course it's feasible. We saw video footage emerge a week or so ago. It appears to be genuine of Ukrainian soldiers shooting captured Russian soldiers who had been immobilised and tied up, shooting them in the legs. Unspeakable things go on. So I don't know. I do know the anti-Russian stuff in the media is relentless. The claims get more outrageous by the hour. Maybe they're true. What do I know? The answer is I don't know very much. It's 12 minutes past the hour Monday's programme, April 4th, 2022. 
Now, my friend, once upon a time, there were three little pigs. Once upon a time, there were three little bears. No, there were three bears. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember that fairy tale. Once upon a time, there were three official symptoms of COVID-19 in the UK. Those were high temperature or fever, a new persistent cough, and a change to the sense of taste and smell. Today, NHS England, just like that, as the great late great Tommy Cooper would say, just like that, the NHS added nine new official symptoms of the virus, making it, well, let me do the... 12 in total. 12. According to the independent newspaper, the NHS has added shortness of breath, feeling more tired than usual, that's everybody. Body aches, loss of appetite, diarrhoea. When you're sitting in your Chevy and you're feeling kind of heavy, diarrhoea, diarrhoea. When you're sliding into first and you feel you're going to burst, diarrhoea. Uh, feeling sick or being sick. Headaches, sore throat, blocked or runny nose. These have all been added to the rainbow of symptoms, which may mean, if you have them, that you have COVID. Very similar. The website says, the NHS website says, the symptoms are very similar to symptoms of other illnesses, such as colds and flu. Well, you could have knocked me down with a feather. This is interesting, isn't it? Of course, it's all the more interesting because this is only 72 hours after the free COVID tests extravaganza ended in the UK, or ended in England, anyway. Yes, ended in England. You know, up until last Friday... You could get free lateral flow tests sent out to you as many as you bloody well wanted. And fools, proper fools, with no symptoms whatsoever, never felt better, were testing themselves. Why? Well, they were fine, feeling good, feeling good, feeling good. But I need to test myself just in case I have the virus because asymptomatic people can pass it on and all of that nonsense. Now, the tests have ended, or the free tests have ended, and now, coincidentally, they say, here's a whole gamut, a whole range of new things that could be associated with COVID. Does it mean that people will go and buy the tests? I don't know. Apparently, one major chemist chain or pharmacy chain is charging £5 per lateral flow test. With the cost of living crisis spiralling out of control, that's a cliche, but it's true, will people... Be able to afford the fiver for the test? Well, maybe. BBC News this afternoon featured a professor of microbiology at Cambridge University. Professor Ravindra Gupta. Ravindra Gupta. Wait till you hear this guy. Why add all of the new symptoms now, Professor? That's because the Omicron variant really has, has changed uh, in its presentation uh, from pre previous variants. It's now much more uh, uh, like uh, sort of upper respiratory tract infections that we've been dealing with for so many years. Um, a lot of people have been getting in touch and sort of remarking on the fact that, yes, we are getting better at recognising these symptoms, but in themselves, should we be worried? If you report any one of these extra nine symptoms now, should we be worried? Because it's very difficult to be able to get a test. We know that free testing has ended. Absolutely. Uh, the Omicron variant has really um, uh, brought a real dilemma to us because the, the symptoms are, are so nonspecific 
that uh, testing, uh, you know, it, it, the, the testing rates are going to go up uh, significantly, uh, and that would be in a context in the context of them being freely available. But, but of course, now we have a situation where testing has been scaled back, and therefore uh, many infections are going to. He just gave the whole game away there, didn't he? Non-specific symptoms, Omicron, basically the exact same symptoms as the cold and the flu, and the flu apparently has disappeared never to be seen again. And he said, finding lots of cases when people were testing, but now he says that testing isn't free anymore. You hear this? He's giving the game away, dear listener. Symptoms are, are so nonspecific that uh, testing, uh, you know, it, it, the, the testing rates are going to go up uh, significantly. The testing rates would go up significantly, because all of these symptoms are so non-specific, uh, and that would be in a context in the context of them being freely available. But but of course now we have a situation where testing has been scaled back, and therefore it's a scam. Uh, many it's a scam. Infections are going to go undiagnosed, and therefore the true numbers of infections will be underestimated. The true number of infections will be underestimated because the tests are no longer free. The true number of infections with non-specific symptoms. <laughs> it's just wonderful. I'd love to be able to superimpose, no, that's not the word, to inhabit, just momentarily, to possess, to possess the bodies of some of these presenters just for five minutes. You know, it wouldn't be about grandstanding or trying to show off. It would just be about destroying these clowns. Uh, why have the extra symptoms only been added to the list now? That's all he can ask. Oh, my God. Well, that's as I was saying. This is because Omicron really has, has changed the way that this 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 uh, this virus presents. Now, there's nothing to say that the next dominant variant will not switch back to some of the the older symptoms. Uh, and so, so this just it's really just a response to 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 the the variant that's changed its biology. Um, uh, various labs have shown that the entry pathways have changed uh, compared to the Delta variant, and that leads to a, a different presentation of disease. Different presentation of disease. However. It really does underline as well how much we are learning about this as it evolves, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> That's the presenter. It really does underline, doesn't it, how much we're learning about this as it evolves. Don't ask a question, God, no. Let's talk about the wider rate of infection. As I said, one in 13 of us now testing positive for this virus. Do we expect that is going to get worse before it gets better? Difficult to say because, of course, we had uh, a significant wave uh, uh, very recently, and we never really recovered from it. But we've obviously had this uh, this big spike again. That's probably related to the easing of restrictions. But also, we have a new type of Omicron called the BA two variant. Uh, BA two variant. That's the current dominant variant. And we believe that this is able to cause reinfections in some people whose antibodies have fallen. Right after their vaccination, and in some people who have already been infected with BA1, uh, the first Omicron variant. So I think that there's a combination of things going on here, but the BA2 does seem to be quite distinct. It is able to um, to cause infections in those who had BA1. And of course, we have a huge population <laughs> of young individuals, children who have not been vaccinated, and uh, circulation in schools is a huge problem. Oh, make sure you get that one in there, Ravindra Gupta from Cambridge University. Make sure you get that one in there. We have huge populations of children who haven't been vaccinated because they don't need to be. There's some ray of light there somewhere. I do believe that many parents are flatly refusing to entertain the idea of giving one of these jabs to their children. Anywho, wait till you hear this from the presenter. Um, I mean, 
you've spoken about the next COVID variant. I'm next COVID variant. I'm sort of almost nervous to ask. He's nervous to ask, the presenter. But is there a possibility that another variant can be much more contagious, much more severe than what we're seeing with Omicron? <laughs> now, Professor, I can't even bring myself to ask you. Do you think we could have a variant that could be deadly compared to the most recent one? What do you think? I'll give you even money that he says no, and I'll give you one to a thousand on that he says yes. Yes, it's hard to believe that there will be a, <laughs> yeah. a, a variant that's more infectious, but of course we've been proved wrong a number of times uh, as we've gone from alpha to delta to Omicron. It's been a, a, an increase in infectivity and transmission uh, uh, you know, with each of those successive ones. Uh, we've, we've, we, what hasn't been um, uh, so obvious is, it, is an increase in uh, severity, and that's partly due to vaccination, but also this time we were somewhat lucky in that the Omicron variant is a slightly milder uh, disease in terms of uh, impact on the lungs and requirement for oxygen. We were lucky this time because Omicron, that's BA1, doesn't affect the lungs so much. We were lucky. But the next variant that comes... But the next variant... Uh, ...may revert back to the more uh, severe type. and It may revert back. Depends on how Omicron is feeling. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. It depends on how COVID-19 is feeling. Giving him a break. I, I turned myself into Omicron. And then Omicron 2, I've given him a bit of a breather. Let's feckin' go for it now. Let's turn myself into BA3. Go for the lungs, go for the spleen, the kidneys, the, the bollocks, everything. Why not? Of course, the uh, conditions are ripe for that because... Oh, the conditions are ripe now for the, for the new deadly variant because... There's uncontrolled infection, not only in the UK, but globally. There's uncontrolled infection, says Ravindra Gupta. Where did I put my pitchfork? and my torch, and my kerosene. <laughs> it's 22 minutes past the hour. Jacob Rees-Mogg, the Minister for Brexit Opportunities, Gavora Gia Uring, Gavora Dia Uring, yeah, the Minister for Brexit Opportunities, was on LBC this morning with, with Nick Ferrari, and he was fielding calls from listeners, and a woman rang up and she wanted to talk about penises. Good morning. Um, I have what is, should be a very, very simple question. Oh. Um, what is, I love the clipped accent. What is a woman and can a woman have a penis? What is a woman and can a woman have a penis? <laughs> um, well, I, I think, uh, as often, the Bible gives the best answer to this. The Bible. <laughs> Genesis one twenty-seven. Uh, God made man in his own image. He made man and he made woman. He made both of them. Um, I, I think God making us in our in His own image is quite good enough for me. And your um, second question, I think the answer is no. The answer is no. Women can't have penises. It's as simple as that. Terminological inexactitude, darling. Jacob Rees-Mogg there. He also spoke about the cost of living, and he very modestly pointed out that well, he's minted. Uh, I, I'm not going to begin to pretend that my situation uh, is a typical situation. I'm not going to begin to pretend that, that I'm not filthy fucking rich. Uh, I'm in a very fortunate situation. My concern on... He made his money dealing antiques when he was about seven years of age. Do you know that, Reese Mark? cost of living crisis is much more for my constituents who are contacting me, who are finding life difficult, who are coming to see me in my constituency surgeries, who are finding life difficult. And what can be done to help but the people... But what do you do when they tell they say, <coughs> Mr. Rees-Mogg, I'm, well, I'm having to get apples because I can't eat apples. I bet you when Rees-Mogg's constituents walk into his surgery to see him, he's eating lobster tail and he's drinking a, b a bottle of Cristal. I bet you, Rees-Mogg, that's the sort
sort of dipstick Reese Mogg is and his class. I bet you when you go to see him on Friday, every second Friday of the month, Reese Mogg is in there tucking into lobster tails. Eh? Eh? No doubt about it. A big bottle of crystal there. Come in, do, do come in. Tell me about your problems, marvellous. Couldn't give an arse. Maybe I'm gaslighting him. Maybe that's unfair. <laughs> Maybe he does care. I doubt it very much. And it broke this afternoon, and I did manage to steal a story from the BBC and, and, and rework it from my website. But the International Panel on Climate Change, say it again, Richie, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has, oh Jesus, dear listener, you know that they went away for the last couple of weeks to determine if, you know, if, if we had to make what sort of changes we needed to make in order to save the planet. Today, they published their report. It published its report. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has published its guidance on what the world can do to avoid, well, oblivion, to avoid capitulation. Uh, due to climate change. And unsurprisingly, it has concluded the drastic changes to the way we live, to the things we do, to how we eat, to how we travel. Drastic changes are needed imminently before 2030. Surprise, surprise. Yeah? And if we don't, well, we're basically brown, bleeding bread. That story's on my website, richieallen.co.uk. It's dark stuff this because we knew this was coming but it still doesn't make it any less depressing when they announce it they're really going to be pushing hard now from now on in uh, for the sorts of restrictions on the things we took for granted for ever since Moses was in short trousers they're not going to have it you can't live normally anymore we're going to control what you eat when you eat it where you go where you don't go how often you can fly and all of that. This is serious stuff. It's on the website, richieallen.co.uk. And I will be trying to get some comment on this throughout the rest of this week. Do you remember? We had a good giggle a few weeks ago as a woman who phoned talk. No, she didn't. She phoned LBC Radio to speak to a guy called James O'Brien. Yeah. And she told O'Brien that, do you remember when we had to put up with Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance giving the, the COVID briefings every day? Well, this woman had, well, she had an idea about how that could be applied to climate change. I do feel that every week on the television, there should be the Prime Minister flanked by two climate scientists explaining what has been done to mitigate climate change. Mm. And that's not happening. It's not happening. We need a couple of scientists every day at five o'clock to tell us what we need to do to keep the temperatures below God knows what. This is the Richie Allen Show. There's none like it. Dr. Vincent Carroll is next. Music from The Who and The Seeker on the Richie Allen Show. It's 29 and a half minutes past the hour. Welcome to the programme. Thank you for your comments. They are coming in in their hundreds. I really appreciate them. Christine is in Limavady. Hi, Christine. 
Richie, she says, this is only my anecdotal evidence, but most of the people around Limavady that I know personally that are testing positive for COVID have actually had three and some even four jabs. One friend of ours maintains she has had it twice in four weeks. It's the testing that's keeping it going, says Christine. I'll read out plenty more of your comments as we go along. I'm really um, delighted that my guest this hour agreed to come on. A couple of weeks ago, I was shown a a video he uploaded to BitChute where he discussed the fact that any COVID inquiry in, in Ireland wouldn't be attended or wouldn't receive evidence or hear evidence from Paul Reid from the Health Service Executive or Tony Houlihan from Neffert. This was announced by the Tornishta, that's the Deputy Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. Let's welcome to the programme a respected and very experienced uh, GP. It's uh, Dr Vincent Carroll. Vincent, I'm really pleased you came on. Welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you, sir. Um, you, were, you were beautifully elegant in the video, but you were boiling... Um, with anger. Has it subsided at all since you made the video? Oh, well, I mean, you know, we have to push the anger in in a way that's directed, in a way that's productive, and all we can do is battle on. I mean, these are extraordinary times. I'm witnessing things that I never thought were possible, certainly in my medical career. I mean, I've been over 25 years as a medical doctor. I've never come across the situation, a situation that's similar. So, for example, I mean, if a person is deemed to be a case, that person may not know they're a case, may not consider themselves to be a case of COVID, that is, until some contact tracer contacts you and tells you you're a case. That's not the way we do medicine. That's completely different than any other way. It seems an artificial attempt to pump up the statistics. And I mean, for what reason? Well, we can speculate on that later on. We'll speculate on it later on. So when, when just to Christine in Limavady, who said that her friends who have had two jabs and a booster, or they've they've maybe had a fourth mm. jab, and it's those people testing positive. Um, what 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 is going on there, Doctor Carroll? As you understand, oh, well, it's a flawed test. That's the problem. It's a flawed test. We're talking about the PCR test, the so-called gold standard test. Now, it, it's a test that takes fragments. It looks for fragments of evidence of COVID, and it's amplified through what are known as cycle thresholds. And the recommended number of cycle thresholds are 25. So you put your sample in the machine, you, you put it up to 25 cycles, and if there's anything there, resist. COVID, it ought to come up as positive. But in Ireland and in most of Europe and throughout the EU, we generally do 40 cycles. In other words, we amplify it to such an extent that even minor contact with COVID will come up as a COVID case. And it's worth pointing out that it shows no evidence of infectivity. This is not a test that tells you it has you the capacity if you have the capacity to infect other people. And I would have thought that's what counts. Normally in medicine, that's what counts. So so we have a large number of COVID positive cases based on this flawed test. And the only definition of having COVID, of, of a diagnosis of COVID, is to be a positive PCR. I mean, that's extraordinary, even though you may have absolutely no clinical signs and no capacity of infecting other people. Why cycle the tests or why 
have a threshold as high as 40. They must yes. know. They must know you, it's you, likely. You'd wonder about that, Richie. You'd yeah. wonder about that. I mean, the point is, it's not recommended in any of the peer-reviewed articles or academic journals. I mean, if you want to scientifically find out if somebody had a remote brush with COVID, by all means, accelerate up the test. But I suppose you get vast numbers of false positives, but at least you don't get false negatives. And maybe that's what they're trying to avoid. But the remarkable thing in the Republic of Ireland was that a number of weeks ago, so many people were getting Omicron that the system crashed, the system failed. So suddenly antigen testing was brought in. So the whole goalposts were shifted as to what, how you would define a case of COVID. Prior to that, you, were only co- you only had COVID if you were PCR positive. And it's worth pointing out as well, I mean, if you have COVID and if you are a case, even though it's just a PCR case, I mean, and you don't have a to infect others. And supposing if you're hospitalized with something else, like an appendix or something, you're classified as a, hosp- as a person in hospital with COVID, yeah. even though you're there with COVID as opposed to because of COVID. And the distinction was never made. And that's an essential distinction. We might come back to that. There was a really interesting study published by Oxford University about 10 days ago. And I think it was only the Telegraph newspaper and the Daily Mail that Mm. picked it up. And that was that they had 14 or 16 different ways to assign somebody as having died of COVID. And it ultimately means that it looks very much like the the death numbers are are wrong and they've been maybe greatly um, exaggerated, but we, we might come back to that. We've got to... Completely inflated, completely inflated, absolutely. Dr. Vincent Carroll is our guest. Vincent, you said at the outset of this conversation, you said, Richie, I'll paraphrase you now, I can't remember exactly how you said it word for Mm. word, but you said that things have happened or you've seen things going on in the last couple of years that you never imagined you'd see and you've been a doctor looking after people for a quarter of a century. Can you elaborate on one or two of those things that you've seen happen? I mean, first of all, there's the def- first of all, there's two things. There's the definition of a case. I mean, normally when you examine somebody, you form the clinical opinion that that person is ill. You carry out a thorough examination, you look for the signs and symptoms, and then you make a decision, and then you treat accordingly and appropriately. But here we have people who are not ill. The vast majority of people simply are not ill. They are unaware that they have COVID, that they've been in contact with COVID. Maybe they may have had a mild upper respiratory infection, nothing else. And they are suddenly classified as COVID and their life changes regarding isolation and whatever else. That's eased a bit compared to let's go back a year ago and then on top of that I mean the interference with the economy the interference with ordinary general practitioners I've never witnessed that before where a practitioner will see you on Zoom I mean this has had a disastrous effect say with late diagnosing of cancer so for example the Irish Cancer Society produced a paper for the Irish Parliament the Oireachtas in which it mentioned that there's been a 75% decrease in e-referrals of pigmented skin lesions. In other words, people suspect having skin cancer and that can include melanoma, a particularly nasty cancer. I mean, there's a 75% reduction of referrals by GPs to specialists. And the reason for that very simply is people are not presenting to their GP because they're discouraged from doing so. And even if you do present, you'll probably be seen by Zoom only. But that's changing a bit. There's been something like a 60% decrease in suspected prostatic cancers, about a 55 
5% decrease in suspected breast cancers. What you're going to have is a tsunami of late diagnosis over the next number of years. That's only cancer. That's nothing to do with mental health. That's another vast issue. Nothing to do with cardiovascular health. That's another vast issue. People presenting with late diagnosis are beyond our ability to treat. And that's going to happen over the next number of years. So that is utterly and totally extraordinary as well. I've never witnessed anything like that before. And you mentioned, and I think you mentioned in your video on Bitute, you mentioned the interfering with general practitioners going about their their jobs, experienced people like you, using your 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 lifetime of experience in treating illnesses and pathogens, but interference coming from on high, telling you you can't yes, do this and you yes. can't do that, yeah. Absolutely. All doctors in Ireland are controlled by a body, a professional association called the Medical Council, pretty much the same way in Great Britain. People, doctors are registered with the General Medical Council. And generally, they're meant to supervise the practice of medicine. They have to make sure that doctors are in standing that, you know, we're not a danger to to our patients. So, for example, if a patient had a, pro- a doctor had a problem with alcoholism or a doctor had a problem with something else, with drug addiction or whatever, I mean, there are remedies in place to prevent that doctor from practicing. And you can understand that. And that's all for a very good reason. And in Ireland, it's the Medical Council, which is set up by government, although theoretically they're independent. All 23 members are have to have their appointment approved by our Minister of Health, and they can be removed at a whim by our Minister of Health. So in other words, they are politically compromised people. And maybe the same applies to the GMS, the General Medical Council, that I don't know. But in Ireland, certainly that is the situation. Now, there are 21,000 doctors in the Republic of Ireland registered with the Medical Council. Seven or eight of us have expressed disagreement or a call for open debate. That's all concerning the management of COVID. Virtually all of us have got into some element of trouble as a result of calling for that. 21,000 decent, honest doctors, people capable of expressing opinion, giving their lifetime of medical experience into this sort of debate. There has been no debate because they are fearful of being hauled over the coals by the medical council. Some have. I mean, one doctor already has been struck off because of his attitude to vaccination and or a number of other doctors are under investigation. Now, that's thuggery. I mean, that is, that is, that is. You called it thuggery. Thuggery, you I would it, call Vincent. that thuggery. It's enforcement. It's political enforcement. And it is very, very, very wrong. Doctor are frightened to speak out uh, against, certainly in the Republic of Ireland, to speak out against official government policy regarding the management of COVID in case you'll be accused of being uh, acting against the best interests of public health. And the funny thing is, in the peer-reviewed journals, such as the British Medical Journal, there is healthy debate to the enormous credit of the medical journals, there is healthy debate regarding, say, the pros and cons of wearing masks, the pros and cons of vaccination, the pros and cons of the PCR test. All of this is played out in academic peer-reviewed articles. Healthy debate, but none of that debate has filtered down because there's an official policy regarding how COVID should be managed and no other policy is acceptable. And if you stray out of that very narrow set, you're in deep trouble. And that is that is what we mean by thuggery. It, it stifles debate, and debate is the bottom rung, the most foundational thing of a democratic society. And you've heard from doctors, uh, Dr. Carroll, you've heard from doctors, have you, who've said, 
tell you what, Vincent, I I see what you mean and I, 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 I kind of half agree with you or I do agree with you, but I can't mm. afford to lose my job. Correct, correct, cor- absolutely. And I mean, it's not even affording to lose your job. I mean, it's a sheer hassle of getting a registered letter from, from them and that uh, you're tied up in paperwork. And the same probably applies in the GMS as well, in, you know, in the General Medical Council as well. But certainly, I mean, that is, is the situation. So you have the extraordinary uh, thing of compliance. I mean, doctors usually sort of debate things and normally a consensus eventually will arise after some healthy debate and an investigation into peer-reviewed articles and eventually healthy debate results in a consensus. And some people won't buy into a consensus, but their opinions are held with respect, although disagreed with. There's nothing like that here. There's only one one route forward, and that's the route that our organisation here is called NEFIT, the National Public Health Emergency Team, which is set up by the government. They will dictate. And the thing about it is here, they are calling all the shots. And and government here in the Republic of Ireland has ran scared. They've acted in effect as messenger boys, running the messages from from this organisation called NEFID back to the newspapers and the general public. There hasn't been real government. In a sense, the government has been the advisory committee on NEFID. Because when you think about it, the health service, the economy, the travel and transport, all of that has been in effect dominated by decisions coming from a small unelected elite. And the real question is they're advised by people who have never declared their vested interest. Various people with professorial appointments that might also be funded in part by drug companies. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm all in favour of, 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 of academia. I'm all in favour of, of, of entrepreneurship. But at least declare your vested interest. Do you have a vaccine vested interest? Do you have, you know, what company it, it, it pays you for your, your services? None of that has been laid bare. We're in total ignorance with that. And it's all very, very suspicious. And I just want transparent answers as, as befits any, de- any democracy. Dr. Vincent Carroll is our guest. A lot of people who listen to this programme, I made a point in the last two years of reaching out to men and women, doctors and academics. So I, I'd, I've interviewed Kuldar from Harvard. I've had them all on, you know, people mm. who people who've said that lockdown is a terrible thing. You, you, could, yeah. you couldn't make any excuse for locking healthy people down. I've had them all on. And they've all run up against the same issues and suggery as you. I've had Dr. Pat Morrissey on here. Dr. Marcus De Bruyne has been on. The amazing Dr. Anne McCloskey from, from Derry has been They're on here. They're all colleagues of mine. People you know very well. I have high admiration yeah. for the three of them. They're courageous people. And, um, and all, all, what they've run into. Now, listeners are saying to me, every time I bring a doctor on, listeners say to me, Richie, will you ask the doctor, what does he think of... Um, mm. the vaccine, the vaccines, and 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 we'll take a listener's comment straight off the uh, email for me now. Yes, Richie, I couldn't have the vaccine because, as far as I understand it, this is from Paul, who's in Limerick. As far as mm. I understand it, it takes a decade or more to fully test a vaccine. This was done very quickly, and the companies who made them are indemnified. Could you ask mm. Vincent for his comment on that? Yeah, well, this is the extraordinary thing. I mean, they are indemnified. That's very, very true. And the problem about, about it being indemnified is that they carry no risk. 
I mean, it's the taxpayer that in effect uh, indemnifies them. And again, I haven't come across that before. Normally, when drugs are brought to the market, they're brought through a testing regime. They're rigorously tested. They're slowly released onto the market. There's a very, very uh, strict protocol regarding all of this. And if something goes wrong, it's the drug company that is responsible for the payouts at the end uh, because they haven't done work well. Now, here we have a situation where governments have given emergency authorization and therefore they have indemnified. So therefore, any payouts will not be at the expense of the drug company. So that takes the responsibility away from the drug company. I mean, as commercial entrepreneurs, their job is to push this stuff out as fast as they can onto the market, obviously, because they're indemnified. So all the checks and balances, uh, the legal checks and balances are set to one side. And that's very, very bad practice. I've got an incredible uh, email here. Um, it's from a journalist I know very well called Spiro Skouras, based in Arizona. And he's mm. um, very, very reliable. He's um, directed me to a tweet that's gone viral, that, that terrible term viral, ironically, on, mm. on Twitter, from a doctor called Aaron Kiriati, or Kiriati, he's a medical doctor. And you know that Pfizer have had to release documents in the last uh, few days under order from a federal judge, documents that, yes. that weren't supposed to see the light of day for 75 years. And, and this is genuine, I can tell you this is genuine. Um, three months after the release of the vaccine, so you're talking about, I suppose, uh, what are we now, 2022? You're talking probably February, March 2021, maybe April 2021. Pfizer had to hire 600 additional full-time employees with a plan to hire 1,800 in total just to process the flood of adverse events that were being reported. Do you expect, not trying to put you on the spot here or get you into mm. trouble, but do you expect that, this, that these jobs are going to be problematic going forward, these jobs? Well, first of all, we don't know that. Certainly, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence coming out that all is not well. Uh, there seems many, many doctors will speak about um, various side effects that have occurred to their patients. I mean, I have a number of people coming to me, and while I cannot scientifically prove it, um, common sense tells you that there is a connection there between signs of, say, neuralgia and any sign, signs of that something migraine headaches. Again, these are things that are common enough in the community anyway, but these are people that might never have suffered from something like that. And then suddenly they get vaccinated and you would ask why. But also there's the whole query about sudden death with people and there's myocarditis is a side effect that is flagged. Now sometimes it's a minor side effect but sometimes it can be fatal as well and just, it hasn't come out in the wash yet. I suppose um, the statistics are not there to be analysed as of yet. Now, maybe they will be. Maybe they but will be. In, very, yeah. very, go is, ahead. No, no, maybe they will be. We have a yellow yeah. card, we have a yellow card reporting system here in the UK and I've looked into it and I, look, I, 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 my job is to be objective and certainly not to be making any wild claims. Mm. But um, th looking at the, the breakdown of the reporting weekly and monthly, it seems that a lot of people, thousands, are reporting, you know, very serious adverse effects. It doesn't mean that every one of those people will have been injured by the jab. 
But again, with the jab coming out so soon, within months, really, yes. um, you, you have to wonder about that. We'll, we'll, we'll leave that for a moment. Dr. Vincent Carroll is our guest, uh, folks, made a terrifically important, I think, bit tute video about the, the madness, really, of having a COVID inquiry and not inviting the chief architects of lockdowns to, to come and explain how they concluded that lockdown was a good thing. You, you will be aware, Vincent, that in this country, we've set up a COVID inquiry to be chaired by a woman called Baroness Hallett. And the terms of reference have been basically been published. They're out there now for discussion. And there, there, there's barely a mention of children and what lockdowns have done to children. You mentioned yeah. a short time ago about mental health problems, a tsunami alongside cancers and other things. You're very concerned about children. Oh, did I am. And I mean, think of it this way. How do children communicate within the schoolroom? Generally, they look for approbation or a smile from the teacher and nod of the head, some sort of facial expression. I mean, we communicate hugely by facial expression. Now, if you only can look at another human being from sort of under your eyes to the bottom of the, your hair fringe, I mean, there's very little left, very little you know, to actually look at the person, to look at our facial expressions. Children develop, they suffer developmental delay. They are not communicated with in a whole range of ways by touching, by, by intellectual engagement, but also by facial expression. It's so, so important. I mean, we can all remember growing up to smile from our parents or whatever it might be, you know, to, to sort of encourage us. And when you're sitting in a schoolroom with a compulsory mask on you, and when you sort of have the windows open as well in, in the cold in order to aerate the place, I mean, it, it is going to affect your development, your education, your sociability, your socialization. All of these things are going to be affected. And it's been a major, major issue in Ireland because when the schools I mean the schools were out for a while then when they got going again masks in primary schools were compulsory masks in secondary schools were always compulsory for quite some time and that was an issue that slipped through when we knew less about masks and of course there's greater ways of enforcing compliance within schools like you know uh, whatever uh, you, you, you won't get a post responsibility as, yeah. as a pupil you won't be a prefect or whatever it might be yeah, yeah. unless you were in. But in prep school and junior school, I mean, it's a very different situation. You have children there that need facial expressions. And um, our own Minister of Health, her name is Norma Foley. She's a Dr. Doll or, or an MP in the Irish Parliament. I mean, she suggested that children should be turned away from school if they did not have a face mask. Now, that's in breach of their constitutional right to an education. That was shameful, and I fought upon her for her to resign. And over 10,000 people turned up outside the Irish Parliament, the Dáil in Merrion Square, to um, protest about that a few days later, at which I had the privilege of speaking. And then the situation was changed. Parents were told that they are advised to wear masks, but that if a child doesn't wear a mask, the child won't be turned away. Now, that's an example of people power. That's Brilliant, an example yeah. of common sense. That's an example of something going right as a result of people saying enough is enough. No is no in this situation. We want to protect our children and encourage our children, not mask them up. And congratulations to you and the thousands of people who turned up and said enough is enough for not having any of it. Just, just on that, 
Ofsted, which regulates education here in the UK, which I'm sure you know, has, has published a report. It's, it's in the papers today. and it, It's grim reading, really. It concludes that lockdowns have left a generation of babies and young children struggling to communicate, struggling to go to the toilet by themselves, babies learning to crawl and walk much later, regression in children, um, not making friends, which, which I probably mentioned. Amanda Spielman, uh, the chief inspector of, of Ofsted, Amanda Spielman saying it, it leaves lingering challenges you know, going forward for, for education yeah. and for health. Let me ask you this. This is the $64 million question. Mm. I've looked at this ever since it all began in March 2020. The thing that struck me early on was how, apart from one or two nations, countries acted in lockstep, that, that term that we use so much now in the last two years, mm. almost as if there was a plan. I'm not saying there was. I'm saying almost as if. And in those countries, the great majority, which locked down their citizens, yeah. there wasn't a modicum of real opposition anywhere. Like in this country, you had the Conservative government saying, we've got to lock down, we've got to do it. You had the Liberal Democrats, you had the Greens, and you had the opposition Labour Party asking them to do it harder and faster. Are you yeah. suspicious about all of that? Does that leave you wondering? Well, I must be. I mean, first of all, normally newspapers, I mean, journalism calls government to account. And I mean, the, 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 there's no journalism, in, in certainly in the Republic of Ireland now. It's all utterly and totally compliant. And that's very, very unusual. Our national broadcaster, our newspapers, all thing off the same sheet. There's no intellectual curiosity, no journalistic curiosity. And that's very, very strange. Again, I've never seen that before, as you know yourself. Normally yeah. journalists are fast out of the trap when it comes to holding government to account. But there's absolutely nothing like this. I mean, even various protest marches, they're deliberately underestimated or they simply are not reported upon at all. So there seems to be some sort of a, some sort of a, a sort of a censorship on the go regarding this. Okay, now I made a number of very modest, I thought they were modest and they were well thought out, um, YouTube videos that were based on mainly on peer-reviewed articles I've just received a life ban from YouTube. Now that's that's like so ungrateful for Bitchute, but that strikes me as utterly disproportionate, utterly extraordinary, and with no right of appeal. It's tyrannical so that's another is what it is. form it's of censorship. You know, I, I mean that's that to me is utterly extraordinary. So there is huge compliance. People are are rowing in. I mean, the official dumb, if you like, is rowing in the official media, uh, and I don't quite understand why there is no sense of intellectual curiosity to try to find out what's going on. But there's worse, if I may continue for a moment, down the tracks. And that is what is known as the WHO, the World Health Organization Pandemic Treaty. I don't know if you want to say a few words about that as well, but it's the big thing of the future. Do say a few words about it. I'm aware of it, but some of right. our listeners won't be. Yeah, I heard of it. Okay, so the idea is the World Health Organization has formed a point of view that the pandemic has been treated in an ad hoc on an ad hoc basis by different countries with little or no coordination. Okay, now they believe that in future all pandemics should be dealt with centrally by the World Health Organization. So they have they hope to sign up 194 countries to sign a pandemic treaty. 
uh, in which if in future pandemics they will take over the running and management of it and will pull rank over the independent expertise found within individual countries. So for example, they would pull rank over the British Chief Medical Officer, over the Irish Chief Medical Officer, and they would operate a one-size-fits-all. Now they hope to bring that in in, in about May 2024 to coincide with the 77th Convention or something of the World Health Organization, and it's going well for them. In the the sense that the European Union and therefore Ireland is part of wanting this to happen. The United Kingdom is part of wanting this to happen. The United States to some extent and to a lesser extent. A few countries like India seem to be opposed to it. But the idea is that they will declare what a pandemic is. They will declare how to treat the pandemic, what drugs to choose and what drugs to exclude. So therefore, I would have a concern there, especially since the World Health Organization, unlike a number of years ago, is now increasingly being funded by private donations. The budget of the World Health Organization traditionally has come from governments, like the United States will contribute a lot, Germany will contribute somewhat less, Ireland will contribute very little indeed. We all yeah, contribute yeah. it according to our means. But now private donators. So 10% of the budget of the World Health Organization is donated by one particular foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, they contribute more than the government of the United States contribute. Now, don't tell me private investors always come with private agendas. I mean, that's common sense. So therefore, you're dealing not with a World Health Organization dealing in the best interests of the public, but perhaps the best interests of vested interests. There is the threat, there is the risk there. So I'm very much against this pandemic treaty. Yeah, the independent media often gets accused of being obsessed with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But what you just said there is, it's pretty much unimpeachable. I, I can't take it on because... Yeah, but it gives 700 million euro a year. A I year, mean, yeah. substantial money, money. If you donate that, you're entitled to... You're entitled You'll have a say. ...for a few favours. Yeah, and you know what, I, what, what, I, what I'm very concerned about when it comes to Bill Gates and people like him? Mm. The, his stated aim, and I've, I've seen TED Talks, I've, I've uh, read articles written by him, uh, editorials in American newspapers... He, he wants to utterly transform healthcare. Now, I'm, healthcare is probably not perfect. You're, you're the, the best man in, in, uh, yeah. you know, on, on radio tonight to talk about why it isn't perfect. But they want to move away. It sounds very benign, but I don't like it. They want to move into an era where basically they've got vaccines for everything. Kind of preventative yeah. um, approach to medicine, which again sounds reasonable and sounds sensible. But no, they've, they've got vaccines in development and he's largely funding this for everything from obesity to even insomnia, mm. honest to God. And you're thinking, yeah. that's sinister stuff, that. I mean, it really is, you know, to be... And I wonder then in mm. the future, the way things are going, it's become so, you know, kind of creeping authoritarianism in our countries. In the future, mm. might your, I don't know, might your privileges, doctor, be tied in with whether you take various vaccines, you know, that oh, you might completely. be... Oh, yeah. completely. This is the problem, isn't it? I mean, already yeah. they are. I mean, look, 
medical travel. I mean, if you don't have a vaccine, I mean, what have, you know, you have to mess around with a PCR test. And, you know, if you're stranded abroad, I mean, I was in France recently. I mean, OK, I speak French. But if I were in another country, I mean, trying to get a PCR test 24 hours before departure, it all adds extra hassle, extra bother to you. But I would ask a very simple question. Who's manufacturing the, the vaccines? I mean, follow the money trail, follow the money trail forward. And I'm just wondering, would any of the people donating to the World Health Organization, and there are many private donators. I just mentioned the largest private yeah. donator. I mean, in the past, George Soros has contributed hundreds of millions. I don't know if he still does. And there's another guy that contributes substantially as well, plus many, many other people. So the World Health Organization never accepts private donations. And I'm just wondering, do any of those private donors, uh, have they, uh, you know, vested interest within the vaccine industry? Again, I don't know. But the These are important questions. You're a doctor. Happen. You're a doctor of a quarter of a century experience. These questions should be asked by by what we call the legacy media. Journalists should be asking these questions. Why are these men and women so determined to utterly transform the way that we live? Who are they that they should have such a say? And I'll say this, I don't know if you remember this. Being in Dublin, you probably didn't see it. Back in March 2020, when they announced lockdown, a wonderful Irish lady called Fanula Ní Aileon, who's a lawyer, I'm sure you've heard of her, United Nations lawyer, very bright um, lady, one of our finest, I think. She's a brilliant speaker as well. And Fanula was being interviewed by Dermot Murnahan on Sky News. And she said something that I've never forgotten, uh, Vincent, Dr. Carroll. She said, said, Dermot, you know, the speed of these lockdowns, and they they had all the texts, they had all the, the text with the hundreds of paragraphs and hundreds of pages. She said, I get very concerned that all of this stuff was lying around in a drawer somewhere, just waiting for the excuse and to use it. suddenly, yes, you'd wonder about that, wouldn't yeah. you? It all happened so incredibly quickly. Um, and people were scared stiff. I mean, we all saw pictures from North Italy with sort of, you know, the disasters that appear to be occurring around Bergamo and Brescia and towns and cities like that. And then, I mean, we obviously got scared and we locked down on that one. And to be honest with you, at that era, I too, as a doctor, and I have a higher qualification in public health medicine as well, although I, I'm a GP, but um, I, was, I, I, I was wondering what was going on. And we all kicked for touch but within a very short period of time, I mean, the questions started to arise. For example, in Ireland, we have the youngest population in Europe. I mean, we are, should be at less risk than in Northern Italy, where we have the, but the oldest older, population yeah. in Europe. In Northern Italy, people live on top of each other in the towns. In Ireland, as you're aware, I mean, there's lots and lots of space. So, um, you know, it's a completely scenario that would require a completely different management plan but it was one size fits all complete lockdown people's lives were ruined their their businesses were ruined their mental health was ruined there was no sense of of proportionality or above all debate I think it's feasible I'm going to ask you a final question you've been very generous Mm. with your time today thanks for coming on pleasure I think it's fairly feasible I'm a reasonably round rounded guy, level-headed guy. I've been around the mm. block. I've worked in national commercial radio. That doesn't make me good. It just, I've seen quite a bit. I believe that, yeah, there are those who would make things a bit dystopian, who would transform the way we live and take a lot more control over what we do in terms of surveillance and 
and other things. I really do. And I don't dismiss things that I would have dismissed in the past. Like we hear about the Great Reset and, you know, building back mm. better. And the proposals of how we should build back better. It's not any way that I want to live, Vincent, where I'm told what to eat and what not to eat and where to go and where mm. not to go and social credit models and stuff like that. Mm. Are you, as, as, as an experienced gentleman, not just a GP, as I should have mentioned mm. at the very beginning of the programme, but you have a qualification in public health medicine as well. Are you mm. contemplating things, final question, that you would never have contemplated two, three years ago? Possibilities as to what might be meant for civilization, where we might be going if this isn't, um, you know, if we don't get a, get mm. a grip of this. Yeah, no, could I just say, this hugely concerns me for the very simple reason. One thing I respect hugely is the national identity of different population groups. I'm a great believer that we all, as a society on this planet, can complement each other as equals. Irish people, British people, French people, Czech people, Danish people, we all have something special, something different, and our differences should be celebrated and our our advantages shared with each other. The one-size-fits-all control from the top does not work in human society. And it, it, it crushes people down, it crushes entrepreneurialship, it crushes cultural development, it crushes down sort of anything to do with, with respecting your past, your history, your traditions, your culture, your religious faith, all the various sort of components that come together to bring up a healthy society. You can't have a one-size-fits-all. You need diversity between nations to be respected. So this globalization thing, and we see it in part with the World Health Organization that I mentioned earlier on, I mean, it, it to fit everybody into the same shoe, if you like, to try to push everybody into the same mindset. It, it crushes the human spirit and it is wrong, wrong, wrong. Dr. Carroll, thank, please thank Mrs. Carroll, Margaret, for helping set up the uh, conversation today. Thanks. Oh, yes, um, I'm not technical. Yeah, she's the expert. She, she's the expert. As one Irishman to another, thanks for being a voice of opposition in our country when there aren't too many. And uh, consider the door open anytime you want to have a chat or, or even a rant. Not that you were, you certainly weren't ranting tonight, but anytime you want to raise an issue, the door is always open here. It was a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Carroll. Thanks for coming on. My, my pleasure. Goodbye. Goramahagat. I thank you. Son Tama. Bye for now. Dr. Vincent Carroll, uh, public health medicine uh, qualification, also a GP and MD in Dublin, speaking to us on Monday, April 4th, twenty. 22. I'm going to take a breather, play you some Oasis. Yeah, that's right. Thank God it was Oasis too. It's been a long day, by the way. <laughs> Thanks again, Dr. Vincent Carroll. Your comments next. It's the, the BBG, Richie Allen, live from Salford. The Richie Allen Show on lots and lots of platforms. Back in four minutes. It's all right. Sunshine. City. City. That's just me acting the bollocks. It's not some new remix of the song. 
As the time is 12 minutes past the hour, get rid of that. Thank you for supporting your Richie Allen show, by the way. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen show now at richieallen.co.uk. Hey, listen, thanks for supporting me every month, by the way, whether it's through Patreon or through the bank account. Thanks for supporting me. I really mean it. Uh, Jean Ann was here over the weekend. I love Jean Ann, great friend, known her now for seven or eight years. Very important all the time. At the beginning of the whole project, um, very, very helpful was Jean Ann with financial support. Thank you for doing it. I really appreciate it. It doesn't work without you. Isabel says, What a wonderful guest, Dr. Vincent is. He made me think of something when he briefly mentioned the track and trace system at the beginning of the interview. With uh, David Icke's problem, reaction, solution uh, theory in mind, I think the government is cooking up something with these PCR tests becoming chargeable. It's actually the lateral flow tests, Isabel, they're going to charge for, but I'm with you. Um, they... Hang on a second here. No, I think she means PCR tests. With the PCR tests becoming chargeable because... Uh, now they're too expensive to the public to be used regularly. That's the problem. And the solution is it's up to anyone's imagination. Perhaps a new, more cynical, compulsory version of the old track and trace system. Or worse, random tests on civilians performed by the army. Random tests on civilians performed by the army. But whatever it is, it will be presented to the public as the only free solution to stay safe. And of course, whatever... Uh, the solution on offer is the population will embrace it with open arms, grateful that some alternative free solution has been identified. Do you remember Tobias Elwood, the Conservative MP, some months ago, said, Isabel, he didn't say testing centres, he said jab centres. He said that there should be jabbing centres basically on every high street. I've only got the clip here. I don't know who wears that fluorescent jacket as the fire evacuation officer in, 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 in you know, Sky's offices. Right, so he says, I don't know who wears the fire evacuation jacket at Sky News, because every company has somebody tasked with looking after fire safety. So he says, right, the fluorescent jacket, fire. And then he says... But it's that sort of person that should now be trained to be a vaccinator in every business. In every a vaccinator in every business, he said. Every school, in every charity. We should have walk-in centres that are permanently based for the moment on every high street. Part of our army should be dedicated to these battalions to be trained to given the variety of support that we've already seen. He's a madman, Your Honour. A madman. He should be locked up and kept away from people, Tobias Elwood. I don't know who wears the fluorescent jacket and tells you which staircase to run down and not to use the lift when Sky News is burning to the ground, Kay. But um, we should have a vaccinator. Somebody should be trained up to vaccinate. That was only before Christmas, would you believe? Yeah, sure I remember it well. John says, what a lovely man, great guest. Cool, good man, says Cookie. Thank you. Vivisection says, Vincent is spot on. The World Health Organization will dictate the worldwide response to the next so-called pandemic under their Pandemic Preparedness Program, mandating lockdowns, vaccines, hospital protocols, etc. People need to realise that the Emperor has no clothes. The one thing we can be certain about is that COVID is not caused by a virus. 
the SARS-CoV-2 virus has never been isolated. Yawn, 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 yawn. You don't know that vivisection. <laughs> you don't know that. You believe it. Because some other doctor told you that. Or because some other truther told you that. You don't know that to be true. Am I saying it isn't true? No, I'm not. Because you can't, last time I looked, you can't prove a negative. That's right. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't engage with that because you don't know it to be true. It's like you're, you're goading me into an argument on a Monday. I'm not having it. Anyway, thanks for the comment. You are entitled to your opinion, of course, and to express it on the website. Chris says they signed the International Health Regulations in 2005. It would have been Blair. Would have been, yes, it would have been Tooney. They signed us up for the action plan that uh, was COVID. Thank you. Busy says, ironically, today is the anniversary of Bill Gates founding Microsoft. Hmm. Patrick says, Dr. Carroll should know they are already harmonising each country's response, but on an unofficial basis, they will just be formalising it under the World Health Organisation. Joe Public says, the tyrannical death of free choice and speech. Caroline says, if TB is highly contagious, Caroline McHale, why no testing for folks who come in contact with the person who has TB? Why also was were TB patients hospitalised with HIV patients in Peamount Hospital back in the late 1990s? I didn't know anything about that, Caroline, but that is very interesting. That was also interesting. What Spiro sent me, the link to Aaron Keriati, or Keriati, Keriati, I would say, medical doctor. He's been going through the tranche of Pfizer documents which were released on the order of a federal judge, the ones they were supposed to keep for 75 years. They planned to hire 1,800 people to deal with the flood of adverse events reported to them after they released their jab. Yeah. yeah, not a whisper of it on the BBC today, dear listener. I bet you're dying of surprise. Not a whisper anyway. Let's move on. I said it again. Let's move on. Spank myself. Don't say it. I've been warned by my mentor not to say it. My coach. We all have coaches. Um, Where am I? Diane, the good doctor is right. This is about an agenda, not about reality. And certainly... It isn't about health. Yes. I would concur. Groovy says the sleepy people are going to start testing themselves again and we will be right back at the beginning. Do you think so? You might be right now that they've announced another nine symptoms for COVID. Why didn't they just go the whole hog and say that itchy feet? Ire. You know what ire is? You know what ire is? Ire. I shouldn't be talking about such disgusting things at tea time. Or dinner time. They say tea time in England. Muppets, tea time. No such thing as tea time. Tea time means it's time for a cup of tea. It's dinner time. At six o'clock or seven o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever. You know what ire is? It's to do with urine. Wee wee. It's to do with not shaking off the drops after you've had a wee wee. You get a rash. It's called ire. They should have said, we've got some more symptoms that might be COVID. Ire, itchy arse, itchy feet, and so on. P 
People would probably believe it too. I think you're right, Groovy. The more symptoms you add on, the more likely people are, Jesus, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a tickly throat there. Yeah, it could be the COVID. I better get tested in case I kill Granny. Brent says they really are laughing in our faces. BA1, BA2. Next variant to be called black. Then the next variant, sheep. No racial offence to the vax, says Bren. Good stuff there. Okay. John says COVID becomes the alpha again. Indeed it does. I missed quite a number of comments, didn't I? Craig says alpha to delta to Omicron. He missed out beta. Who else remembers that? Kent, alpha. South African, beta. Indian, delta. And uh, new South African, Omicron. Now we have Omicron too which isn't as bad, but according to Dr. Ravindra Gupta, well, it could be deadly. The next one could be deadly. You never know. The uh, the COVID might think it's time now to get deadly again. Gaz says, I don't think Reese Smog, as Reese Smog, has a penis or a vagina. Well, his wife might beg to differ, Gaz. They have a few kids, don't they? A few children, a few sprogs, the Mogs. They have a few, the Reese Smogs. What? <laughs> yeah. Ray Smog comes across as mildly entertaining. I would, you know, I would accept that. I would concede it. He's a, a decent orator. And when the need arises, he can be reasonably witty. Can't he? But he would have been one of the chief torturers of what they called fags in private school. The younger kids that had to wait on the older kids. Reese Mogg, I would say, and this is not becoming probably of a responsible professional broadcaster, but I would say Reese Mogg is capable of unimaginable cruelty. There's nothing behind the eyes. He's got dead eyes, Reese Mogg. Remember some years ago he sat down with Jess Phillips for an interview. The Birmingham Yardley TD, Jess Phillips. With, um, no, no, don't say that, Richie. I'm not going to say that. Just did a bit of self-censorship there, lest I get myself into trouble. But nothing behind the eyes. Yeah, he's one of them. One of the burn money in front of the homeless brigade. Don't ever forget that. However mildly amusing. And you know, I'm tempted to like him because he was interviewed by James O'Brien a couple of years ago and Rhys Mogg took O'Brien to the cleaners. I've never seen the presenter wiped out as badly as O'Brien was wiped out by Mogg. It was a thing of beauty, you see. Because whatever Reese Mogg might be, he's not half, you know, he's not half bright like. He's reasonably bright. Like I said, he can talk and he's got a good memory. O'Brien is useless with a capital U. It's on YouTube and uh, to see O'Brien's face turning crimson and, and, and then another 50 shades of red as he was being stitched up by Reese Mogg, well, I have to say, I... No, I can't say that. It's a tea time show. It's a dinner time show. <laughs> That's right. Now, Amir says, let's get some... Let's get some... Uh, some balance in. Putin lies all the time, says Amir. But you alt-media Russia apologists... Now, Amir, do you listen to the Richie Allen show? Um, because if you do... Uh, I'm not an apologist for Russia. Not now, not ever. Don't be a dipstick, son. You want to engage with me, send me your email address or email me through the website. Send me a telephone number and I will bring you on and you can have your say. We can have a chat. 
like regular blokes. I don't apologise for Russia. How many fucking times do I have to say that Vladimir Putin is a gangster? That I believe that Putin is doing the job of the hidden hand? How many times before you hear it? Before it actually fucking sinks in? Anyway, calm. Anyway, he says, in 2014, when he denied that the green men who took Crimea were Russian, and then a year later admitted it was Russia with a smirk and laughed about it. Link, please, Amir. Link, please. Don't be making claims without providing some modicum of evidence. Show us a link of Putin denying whatever you think he denied about Crimea and then a link where he did the opposite. Please, and I'll be happy to play it on the radio show. Thank you. Thank you very much, Emir. Or grow a pair of bollocks and come on the radio programme. That is if you really are Ukrainian. And if you are, I'll, I'll, I'll open the mic to you and you can say what you want. That's what, that's, what, that's what we do. I've done about a dozen phone-ins since you started spewing this I'm a Russian apologist thing on the website. And yet you've never phoned in one time. Hmm. Come and have a go if you're hard enough, as the old saying uh, goes. Chris says, Richie, I've got a cupboard full of tests from when I worked in a care home. <laughs> Send them round. £2.50 a test, says Chris. Good man, Chris. Nothing like a bit of capitalism. Claire says, don't forget COVID toe, the greatest symptom of them all. It was vaudevillian, wasn't it, at the very beginning? Some of the ailments they attributed to COVID. I wrote about it a few times on the website. It was, it was gas altogether. Scully says, Richie, my friend, was questioned the other day about the internet. Uh, was questioning the other day about the internet being used in the same way. The internet is freaking out over Etc. Yes. Davy says, Richie, if you were going to kill eight people, tie their hands and feet up and shoot them, I don't think you would leave them there to be found where it would be a war crime. What do you think? Davy, I don't know. And if our Ukrainian friend Emir listens back to the start of the monologue, you will hear me saying, I'm not saying that it's untrue, the allegations of civilians being tied up and shot. I'm not saying it's at all. At all, at all, at all. I don't know, is the answer. But you get suspicious when you turn on the daily news and it is one Russian story, one horror story about Russian crimes after another, relentless, day in, day out. You know, a broken clock was indeed right, or is indeed right twice a day. What did I say? When you send men and women into a war zone and you tell them that their enemy is their enemy. Ukraine, the Ukrainian people, the people of Ukraine. And then the Ukrainians defend themselves, as they rightly should do. Unspeakable things happen. Of course they do. And I said it clearly. It doesn't matter which side. Remember when I stopped four years ago and I stopped interviewing Vanessa Bailey? Remember? Do you remember why I discontinued her coming on the Richie Allen show? Because it was discovered... Uh, through leaked uh, emails and, and Facebook messages, that she said she knew that Syrian soldiers were committing atrocities, but she, Vanessa Bailey, arsehole, said that she wouldn't report it because it would suit Assad's enemies. 
And I said, well, you won't be coming on the Richie Allen show anymore because you're not a journalist. You're a propagandist. Bashar al-Assad is in the right in Syria. He has righteousness on his side. But have Assad's soldiers committed unspeakable crimes? You bet your hairy arse they have. Fact. Fact. Palestinians are in the right. Their country is Palestine. The indigenous people are Arabic. They've been there since Adam was chasing conquerors in the Garden of Eden. They are in their right. But have um, Hamas committed unspeakable crimes against Israeli uh, people on, on occasion? You're damn right they have. Did the IRA under Michael Collins do unspeakable things? The righteous old IRA fighting for the independence of my country. Did they do unspeakable things to informers, to bobbies, not bobbies, to peelers, whatever you want to call them? Yes, they feckin' did. Wake up to it. Wake up to it. No good guys in war. No good guys in war. There never was. Never will be. It's uh, Joan says, Richie and gang, what each government around the world has done to every citizen is a bloody war crime. Send the prime ministers and the presidents to the front line. There wouldn't be any war, says Joan. More of your comments in a moment after, hang on a second, after this, after this glorious little ditty from Charles Aznavour. Monday's programme, the time is coming up for half six. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet. Young, young. Charles Aznavour, yesterday when I was young, 27 minutes to 7 o'clock, I didn't think I'd survive past 6.30 today. It's been an interesting day. I suppose I can tell you the anecdote. We booked a, a core to take uh, my, my learned and uh, great friend to the airport this morning in Manchester Airport because she had a very early flight. She needed to leave at 4am, sadly for her. Anywho, I do have a bit of sixth sense about me and I, I feared that it mightn't materialise, the car that was booked to escort Jean-Anne to the airport. And I got up at three o'clock and sure enough, I had an email from the company to say we've returned the money and we, we've cancelled the booking. I reckon it's because Caroline, the El Frago, said maybe, maybe correctly, the price of diesel and petrol now, that hour of the morning... Um, laziness, being being laziness, you know, maybe the, 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 the driver who took the gig maybe thought, nah, I can't be bothered my backside. And here's a funny thing then. Even though Salford, where I am, was surrounded by Ubers, none of them would take the job this morning. None of them would take the job, the airport run. And we were laughing at this. One guy took it, he was 12 kilometres away. Um, gentleman called um, uh, Habib took it and you can see on Uber you know he's making his way Habib 
from Stretford. He's making his way across. And then he gives up. <laughs> he says, oh, feck this for a game of soldiers. I can't be arsed. So there's none. So it basically tells him he can't get you a driver. So I said, well, sure, I'll have to drive you then. But luckily enough, we didn't imbibe uh, so much yesterday. Not like we did on, on Friday. And to a lesser extent on Saturday. So um, I went to bed sober on, on Sunday evening. So I was in, I was in the, the right condition to drive. So, so I drove out there. So it's been a crazy, hectic day for me today. And then this afternoon we discovered, do you ever think you're, you're under a cloud? Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use you as my Jennifer Melfi. Dr. Melfi, you are today. You are my shrink today. I am on a, I'm on a, a virtual leather reclining couch and you are my shrink today. This afternoon we noticed that a week after young Bobby Jean was stitched up after being bitten by a dog in an unfortunate accident. One of the stitches or two of them have come away. Not because she's been going at them. She hasn't been going at them. But um, there's a bit of an open wound now. And it looks like... And I'm not thinking of myself here now, Dr. Melfi. I'm thinking of the dog. I never think of myself. I'm thinking that my the, the dog... I worship this dog. You have no idea. She's going to have to have probably another mild sedative tomorrow and have another stitch or two put in. And this is a disaster. She's been a disaster, Bobby, since we got her. Um, weeks and weeks ago, she inhaled... Half an empty, half an empty, half an empty. That's not good, is it? Half a discarded box of southern fried chicken, the little bollocks. You remember I educated you on bollocks and bollocks. Bollocks is not good. Bollocks is more of a term of endearment. And uh, she was very sick for three days. Very, very sick. That was a few hundred quid. Again, thank God for the insurance. Then a few weeks ago, she was running full pelt in the dark Caught her paw in a hole, probably a hole she dug the previous day, ironically. And um, she sprained her foot or fractured a toe, we'll never know. That was an anaesthetic, it was an x-ray, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Last week she steamed into a couple of dogs, got bitten, 1,200 pounds, not to me, thanks. Thanks, beat to jeepers and all the rest of it, steamed in. And now one of the stitches or two of them have come away. Um, I just feel dreadful for her to have to go through this again. And um, we, we're off next week, you probably know this. My, my, my spring break for a week. We're off next week, we're, we're going away for just, for, just for a few days. And this is not good, but I feel really bad for the dog. So it's been one of those days, dear listener. Dr. Melfi. So I don't know if you can prescribe me some Prozac or... Whatever it is they take these days. Lexapro, that's the one. You seem to know an awful lot about it, Baldy. Listen, I have never in my life taken anything like that. Uh, nothing. I, 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 I often, I'm often pushed towards sleeping pills. By, well, not so often. Not these days. But I used to be pushed towards them because of my lifelong insomnia. But uh, never in a million years. I wouldn't touch anything like that. Even before my so-called awakening, if you want to call it that, the cliche, wouldn't, just no interest in, in drugs. But uh, don't be offended now if you happen to be someone who's used 
uh, antidepressants and stuff, and if you found them useful, good for you. I don't think any lesser of you. It's just I, I wouldn't uh, dabble in such stuff. So, yeah, it's been quite the day. But we had a great weekend, thank God, you know. Great weekend. Colin in Kerry says, It was wonderful having Jean Anne on the show yesterday. Enjoying her time in BBG Terrors. It, it was a, a lovely. I mentioned it at the very top of the programme. It was lovely. I didn't delete that episode, you see. I delete every other episode of Sunday Morning Mail. I didn't delete that one. And I will drop it in sometime in the future. Not on Sunday. I'll, I'll be doing live Sunday shows, but... Uh, some sometimes something goes wrong I'll throw it on Isabel came back on to say can you explore deeper the possibility that the Ukraine war is all about gas and pipelines as one of your guests re- recently mentioned it was James Perloff and he made the point James that the BlackRock Investment Group made a multi-billion contract with Saudi Arabia and the year before that Saudi Arabia was claiming that they armed they aimed to extend their pipelines and gas distribution to Europe. And who in the US government is involved with BlackRock? Well, better ask who isn't, says Isabel. The ties with the US administration are mind-blowing. Very interesting. But it was news to James Perloff, and it was news to me when he mentioned it to me. He's a really good bloke, is James, very good researcher. David says, as you know, sir, the first casualty of war is truth. Uh, David says, thanks for the past three years. Me and my mum, Elaine, and all our beautiful listeners have been listening to you to brighten up a fecking confusing world. Thanks for that, David. You've reminded me, David. Hang on. Hang on. I have to go off mic momentarily. Talk amongst yourselves there. Hang on. Hang on. You're not supposed to talk off a mic. It's very unprofessional. So we all went to the railway inn on Saturday to see Laura and Rick. Railway in Moberly, Cheshire. Beautiful, wonderful. Great welcome. And Laura says to me, I have a card here for you. It's been here since the end of last summer, which tragically was the last time we'd been out to the railway. She said, it's a card from a listener. And Helen, if you're listening, thanks for the beautiful card and the beautiful message and for the lovely surprise contained within the card, the support uh, that you uh, lent the programme. And and thanks so much. I understand you're in Portugal these days. But it's a beautifully written card with, with wonderful handwriting, Helen. Absolutely glorious. I would have loved to be able to uh, uh, to write like that when I was in school. Beautiful writing indeed. Jean-Anne as well. She, she's your sister. Jean-Anne can write with beautiful... How do you, what do you say when you say somebody writes beautifully? With beautiful what? But uh, Helen, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. It cheered me. Well, I didn't need cheering up on, on Saturday. But um, it was wonderful to read. Thank you so much. And uh, Caroline, because you mentioned her in the card as well, uh, sends her gratitude and thanks for the lovely message. Thank you, Helen. You're in Portugal. That's right. Drop me a message through the website, Helen, if you have heard this. And then I can... Get in touch with you uh, and, and, and write back to you. Thank you. Speaking of Dr. Vincent Carroll, Steve says he was informative and ethical. However, says Steve, I want to get past continually restating the problems and try to find solutions for them. In my opinion, we are unlikely to stop the globalist tyrants without active resistance. Just ask Chris Rock if he will do any more alopecia jokes. I'm not advocating anything 
Just being realistic, that's all. Steve, I hear you loud and clear. I mean, if you're fed up of pointing out the problems, how do you think I feel? I mean, up until late last year, I must have done practically the same radio show for two years. Okay, the guests were a bit different. We had some different audio clips in the monologues and stuff, but it felt to me like the show, if the NHS became the COVID health service, it felt to me that for nearly two years, the Richie Allen show became the COVID show. And I'm telling you, pal, it nearly drove me to drink, but then it couldn't because I was already at the drink. It nearly drove me to distraction, so it did. Uh, but I hear you. Solutions, yes. It was very interesting listening to Rachel uh, from the original Dragon's Den, Rachel Elno. That's right, Elno. Talking about solutions and, you know, coexisting. You know, making your own life and kind of extricating yourself from the system, not using the system as much as you possibly can, becoming more and more self-reliant. I think if you're t to talk about solutions, that's the one I keep hearing over and over again from people, from friends and from colleagues in the independent media. I hear that all the time. Richie, ultimately, really, if you can not depend on them, you know, if you don't have to be shopping in their shops, if you don't have to be getting your water from them, if you don't have to get your fresh produce from them, that gives you a chance. So I think, not to be too simplistic about it, maybe the answer is fairly obvious, but, but doing it, you know, actually doing it. I mean, I'm in suburbia. I'm in suburban Salford. There are things we can do for ourselves if we can bother our backsides to do them, if we can get off our hairy backsides, I suppose. But I wouldn't be in as, as good a position as someone who has land outside a city. People who live outside the cities and own their own property and have a big, 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 big garden or a field or two, they're in a much better position than I am in the city, I think. But you're right, Steve. You know, you know what the problems are, pal. I hear you. I take it on the chin. I agree with you, absolutely. Is there a counter-argument to that? Not really. But I suppose there are people finding shows like this all the time. Like, we had a lovely message from a gentleman, didn't we, last week, from Mark in Walsall. How are you, Mark? He said he found the show three months ago. So, people are joining all the time, I suppose. And they're at various levels, I suppose, of, of understanding it. That's not to suggest that I'm more intelligent or you are more intelligent than them. No, but we might have had more... We've heard more of it over the years. We, you know, we've had more of a grounding in what's going on. So, yeah. Colm, how you doing, Colm? Yes. The German Shepherd is a problem. Yeah, she is indeed. <laughs> She's a problem. I'm the solution. <laughs> Uh, no, she's marvellous. And Craig says, BlackRock is one of the investors of the UN. Funnily enough, you're quite right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I often am. Actually, I'm going to correct myself. I'm, I'm going to type it in. George Osborne, G-E-O-R-G-E, -E, Osborne, O-S-B-O-R-N-E, doing it now. And BlackRock as well. BlackRock. Because I know that fecker was paid quite a few bob. To do some work for BlackRock. 
Indeed he was. He was uh, given half a million pounds a year to do squats for BlackRock. But there's a real scandal around that. I'm trying to remember it now. Wasn't the government giving contracts to a developer, a big developer? This is true now. There is no danger of me being sued for libel. A big developer was going under. A developer that got UK government contracts. Please remind me of the name of the developer. I know I'm half a bright guy, but I can't remember it for some reason. And while Osborne was Chancellor of the Exchequer, while he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, he was also, he also had a gig. He had a gig. He had a nixer, as we say in Ireland. He had a nixer with BlackRock, this big investment company. Wait for it. Wait for it. The developer was going bust, but the UK government was still giving it contracts. And guess what? George Osborne told BlackRock to make bets against the company. It's just come to me. I'm in the money. I'm actually a little bit brighter than I thought. It's just come to me. The company was Carillion. Remember that scandal? And you wonder how George Osborne isn't hanging from his ankles in the Tower of London. It's a big club, as George Carlin once said. The great man, and we ain't in it. Yes, that bastard who now edits the Evening Standard, former Chancellor, a man who at one time put squabs in his rectum, baby birds, in the secret societies he was involved in. His pals, the Bullingdon boys, scumbag. He was telling BlackRock, listen, Carillion is going tits up. Bet against them. Short them. Short them good. Short the bejesus out of them. But the UK government was still giving them contracts. Now, dear listener, if you or I did that in the private sector, we'd be in prison, wouldn't we? Oh, bejesus, we would be. But not George Osborne, not Georgie boy. God, no. God, no. He earned his money, didn't he? His 600 grand salary. He earned his money, Georgie boy. Yeah. Carillion. Yeah, keep giving him contracts. They had to issue a shareholder warning because they happened to pot the piss in. And the UK government kept giving him contracts. Osborne would have known. And he told him to short sell Carillion. What a bastard. What an insufferable bastard. Yeah, we'd be, um, oh well, we'd be whipped for it. We'd be horse whipped every night in jail if it was me or you. Yeah, Carillion just came to me. I wrote about that years ago. I goaded Osborne. I wrote about it. I sent him copies of the articles. Go on, sue me for libel, you bastard. But uh, no chance. Yeah. Filthy. Absolutely filthy, these people. Thanks for your comments this evening. William says, I worked with Carillion and they wasted money like it was going extinct. Yes. <laughs> yes. Pandora tells me that RFK has got a programme on the Children's Health Defence website. Is He's got a show, a good morning show or something, uh, which goes out at 3 o'clock in the UK, which is 10 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, finally, says Pandora, an alternative to Dr. Shillery. Yeah. Has he, RFK? 
I um, approached them a couple of times about him coming on this program. And they seemed pretty keen. And then they, nothing, silence, gone. I, I have an idea why. I don't hold it against them. But yeah, he was going to come on at one time. James says, I think it's Carillion, mate. You're spot on, James. It did come to me. I'm glad to say it came to me. Elizabeth says, in the Netherlands, they are kicking young people out of housing to accommodate the influx of Ukrainian refugees. Now, Elizabeth, are they? Because it's the kind of thing they might do, but I'll have to go looking for a bit of evidence later on. Not that I'm calling you a liar. I am not. Kicking young people out of housing to give those houses to Ukrainians, are they? You would imagine there would be a massive fuss. But listen, you might very well be right. But I'll have to go looking for that. Yeah, suppose it doesn't surprise me. Jean-Anne tells me the Irish government is planning on housing 200,000 Ukrainian refugees. 200,000. 200,000. 200,000. Mother of God. Yes, William, women always have the best writing. El Frogo's uh, shorthand. Cursive. What is it? Not cursive, no. Her shorthand, her writing is quite beautiful too. Mine is illegible. Is that the word? I'm riffing now. I'm actually, I haven't had so much as a sniff of a drink, but I'm drunk now on exhaustion after this morning's um, heroics. <laughs> Lovely. Great stuff. Got some good uh, programmes lined up for you this week. Indeed I do. You enjoyed Melissa Shumay when she was on the programme. I had a nice chat with Melissa today. She'll be with me on Thursday for a good old chinwag. Robert Inlakesh, who's an old pal who hasn't been on the programme for a long time. Robert will be with me, I think, on Wednesday. I think we're booked in. And we're going to chat about a few things. It's going to be a, a busy old week, as so it is. Yes, indeed. Anything to tell you about before I take my leave of you? Let's have a look. Yeah. I'll tell you what, check out George Osborne, Carillion and Black Rock and, and wonder, be amazed at the fact that Osborne got away with it. Because nobody else would. I know, I know, repeating yourself, repeating yourself. I know, I know, I know. I had a bit of a giggle this morning. You know Jeremy Vine of BBC Radio 2, he does, he double jobs, he presents a television show for Channel 5 and then he cycles to the BBC studios to present his own radio show. His television show didn't go ahead today because of a power cut. A power cut. Did you see that? Very strange one. Very, very strange. I thought it was very strange. Because I would imagine television studios, radio studios having backup generators. In my time in radio, um, they all had backups. Sometimes they were fueled by petrol. And would get you out of the um get you out of the shite for a few hours. Or as long as you wanted. As long as you kept putting the petrol in, I suppose. But um yeah, they had to basically give up. The show fell off the air. That's a great um that's a great TV and radio. Radio saying. It's a cliche. Fell off the air, yeah. Ah oh, Jesus now. What else have I to tell you? Shall I do the headlines and piss off? I think I might. Yeah, Joe Biden has piped in. The President of the United States of America piped in or piped up on the claims that the Russians have been murdering um, civilians and executing them. 
tying them up and killing them, which Emir, if you exist, I'm not saying they haven't done, just in case you're still there, pal. Um, it's war crimes, and Vladimir Putin has to be put on trial, says Joe Biden. Yes. Yeah. I've got some beachfront property to sell you in Birmingham. Got more chance of that than than Putin facing any war crimes. Um, it's hard enough to understand Joe Biden at the best of times. It's even harder when he's standing next to a helicopter that's still going. Let's have a listen. You may remember I got criticized for calling Putin a war criminal. Well, the truth of the matter is so what happened to Putin. Big up. This warrants him. He is a war criminal. But we have to gather the information. We have to continue to provide Ukraine with the weapons they need to continue the fight. And we have to gather all the detail so this can be an actual have a war crime trial. This guy is brutal. I'm seeking more sanctions, yes. The lights are on, but um, there's nobody home with Joe, what do you reckon? <laughs> is that unkind, that? I feel it's a bit unkind, even though he is who he is. Because he's a senior gentleman. Karma has a funny way of biting you on the backside, doesn't it? Don't be laughing at people when when Alzheimer's or dementia sets in, even if it is him, because it could be yourself there, but, but, but for the grace of God, go I kind of a thing, I don't know. So that's it. Biden has piped up and said war crimes. Putin, yeah. And sadly, and, and this is kind of an and finally, and I mean sadly, but she's had a fantastic innings, and I, I reckon she's had a fantastic life. Uh, June Brown, who was one of the longest-serving actresses in, in EastEnders, played Dot Cotton, who worked in the laundrette famously and had a terrible husband and a terrible son, Nick Cotton. Uh, June uh, died uh, recently, yesterday. Was it yesterday or, or was it this morning? I think it was yesterday. 95 years old, so she had a very good innings. I have to say, look, I'd be a liar if I said I didn't. At some stage, we've all watched some of these shows, even for a little while. And in my opinion now, and I'm only speaking about soaps, exclusively about soaps, because I, 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 I can't speak about anything else, but I've never seen an actress as good as her in a soap opera, ever. I remember an amazing scene. Many years ago, Dirty Den's son showed up in the square, didn't he? And was, he was called Dennis, played by a young man, yeah, young actor. And there was a scene in the old Vic when he went a bit mad. You know, lost it. He had a short temper, rage, some sort of schizophrenia. He didn't have schizophrenia, but he went mad anyway. And Dot, played by June Brown, approached him in the bar and took him home with her. It was fantastically done and brilliantly filmed, I remember. I remember thinking, what an actress this woman is. She did more than EastEnders. She did plenty of stage and screen over the years. But a bit of a national treasure in the UK. June Brown, uh, Aryesh Day Gorev, on him. That's it for the Richie Allen Show for Monday. Thank you for listening to me. Thanks to Dr. Vincent Carroll for his time. And um, we will no doubt have him back on again in the future. Join me tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time. In the meantime, you take care of yourselves and one another, but I bid you adieu. Adieu. Bye.